Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life, if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is January 29, 2014, and this is episode 1290 of the Survival Podcast. I got an interesting one for you today. It might not sound like it, but I want you to give this one a listen because it might help you really shore up some big holes and what you call your preps. It's something that I talk about in my 12 Tenets of Modern Survivalism, but we don't talk a lot about on the air. And the reason is it's not considered generally an exciting or sexy topic. It's insurance. And I know you might be thinking, I have insurance or whatever, but you know, today what I'm going to actually do is have a guy on who is an insurance adjuster, not an insurance salesman. So now at the end of the episode, you're not going to hear, and to buy your insurance, contact Joe Blow at JoeBlow.com. No, you're going to just... There's no, no place to go from there other than, you know, assessing your own needs. This is someone who has been through the business from one end to the other, at one time was an agent, now deals with the other end of things, helping people actually execute their claims, knows all the problems that can come up. And, you know, it might be time for a checkup of what you have, is it enough, or in some cases, are you paying too much for something? Uh, or the next time you're ready to make a claim, on some insurance where you do have some limited coverage, some limited benefit to come back by making that claim, you might want to think about whether you really want to do it or not. And we'll talk about that more in just a minute. Before we do, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsor. Sponsor of the day number one today, Jeff, the Berkey guy Gleason, the guy that you'll get Berkey water filtration systems from. It's shocking that the Berkey guy has Berkeys. Uh, in all seriousness, though, Jeff is the most maniacal customer service person I've ever seen in my life. And if you're going to get a Berkey, man, you need to get it from Jeff, the Berkey guy, Gleason. Don't be the guy that got your Berkey from the non-Berkey guy. You know, Jeff is a great place to get your Berkey from because not only is he great at customer service, he's one of the largest dealers of Berkey products in the world. So he has a great relationship with the factory and he passes on great pricing to you. But um, another thing is that Jeff has a lot of other really great stuff for your prepping needs. He's just added a new product line called Survival Cave Storage Food. It seems really well-priced, really top-quality stuff. He says his customers who have purchased it so far have been really, really pleased with it. So get on over to his website. It's directive21.com, D-I-R-E-C-T-I-V-E-2-1, directive21.com. And uh, if you need a Berkey, you can find all the stuff you need there. If you need help, you can call Jeff. But uh, click on when you get there. Click on Survival Cave Food Storage. Survival Cave Food Storage. And check out the options there. I think you'll be uh, impressed with the selection, the variety, and the cost of the uh, new product that Jeff's brought on. Next up today, um, remember, if you are a member of the Support Brigade, you get discounts to a lot of people, like Jeff has a special deal for you. Sponsor the, uh, Actually, sponsor of the day number two, I almost forgot, HarvestEating.com, Chef Keith Snow. Um, you know, if you're going to live on things like survival cave rations, knowing how to cook is really a good idea. And it's a good idea to know how to cook out of your garden on a daily basis, cook seasonally and locally. Cooking is a survival skill. Any of us who have ever lived on MREs for a while can tell you it really, really is. Check out Chef Keith's site and his podcast at HarvestEating.com. Now, as I was saying, uh, members of our support brigade do get discounts to a lot of different companies. 
Most of our sponsors, like the Berkey Guy and Harvest Eating, both do provide discounts for you. Um, but we also have a whole list of other companies we just don't have room to take as sponsors. And I've been, you know, once a day just naming one company. Uh, the company I'll mention today that gives you a discount, Black Belt Magazine. If you are kind of a martial arts enthusiast, there's probably no better publication than Black Belt. How about this, 50% off a subscription. Uh, that's a pretty good chunk of change right there, an annual subscription of Black Belt, 50% off for all members of the Support Brigade. Good way to segue into the MSB. The way I really uh, support this show, I mean, sponsors are great and all, but the way I actually pay the bills is from members that support this show because they think it's worth doing. People that listen to this show and think it's worth 20 cents an episode, I listen most days, if not every day, And if Survival Podcast wasn't around, I wouldn't be happy about that. I want them to be here, and I'm willing to voluntarily support the show through the MSB at about 20 cents an episode. When you do the math, it's actually 18.3 cents. So they decide to step up and support the show at five bucks a month or $50 a year or what have you. And that was great. And a lot of people do it, I think, just to support the show, just for what I said. But what I tried to do was set that up so if you chose to do that and you were buying stuff from guns to, 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 to gadgets, from practical to tactical or anything in between, long-term storage food, you name it, on an annual basis, you would get all your money back plus some, that it would actually be a profitable thing to be part of. And uh, I think I've done a good job with that. And these are just three companies that provide you discounts there. If you want to know more, you want to become a member, go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on Members, and uh, you can sign up there. If you're military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, active duty, or prior service, or a first responder, like an EMT, a paramedic, or a firefighter, uh, you do qualify for an additional service discount. Just email me with service discount in the subject line. Send it to jack at the survivalpodcast.com. And in one or two sentences, tell me a little bit about your service, and I will respond to you with a discount that will save you even more money on a product that already saves you a lot of money. For our history segment today, the year is 1290, because it's episode 1290. Um, the Jews are expelled from England with three months' notice. By order of King Edward I of England, 16,000 English Jews are expelled from the island. He will give them three months to sell their property. Most will sell to France. The Jews have been losing influence and money for decades now, being slowly replaced by the Italians in banking. All the king do is use them as political fodder, making the king look good as he kicks them out of the country, and not incidentally moving the blame of the country's problems from the king to the Jews. They won't be back until Oliver Cromwell allows them to return in 1657, over 350 years later. This little excerpt is always uh, performed and, and, and provided by Alex Shrugged, who has uh, sent this to me. He has his own take on this one. Um, I'm going to only read a part of his take. Big FYI, um, he's talking about the Apache Indians here in America and how there's a similar situation here. The Apaches were actually in, in, in a danger until the early 1900s. This is something I don't think most people know. Most people think like the Indian uprisings were quelled you know, by within 10 years, 20 years maximum after Civil War, but the Apaches in this country were a danger until the 1900s. Finally, someone in government had a bright idea to give the Indians welfare in the form of a limited number of cattle. The chief had the authority to decide who got this valuable but limited commodity. This caused the Apaches to change their behavior in order to benefit from the Largress. This broke the back of the Apache Rebellion, all because the government gave them free stuff. 
So my take on those two angles from Alex is as follows. Number one, what's old is new again. The government constantly blames one class of people uh, for the problems of the nation and ignores its own responsibility for the problems that we have. You know, you tell the American citizen basically the reason you don't have jobs is because of Mexicans, which is preposterous. It's absolutely a preposterous argument. But then you say, you agitate that program by saying, look at these, these, these illegal aliens on welfare. And, and then everybody gets upset at them instead of saying to the government, well, really? Well, then why are you giving it to them? Why, why does anybody that comes to this country of their own free will from another nation that just wants to work hard get welfare? And the answer is one, so that they can be controlled, and two, so that you can be manipulated. And you you pit the black man against the white man, you pit the Christian against the Jew, you pit the rich against the poor, the middle class against the poor and the rich. It's fascism. What's well, old is new again. It's the same story over and over again throughout history. Those in power manipulating those they have power over. And I challenge everybody out there that still thinks that we need to be political in our solutions rather than action-based in our solutions, to consider the following quote. The people in power only have power because the people that they have power over believe them to be necessary. The people in power only have power because the people they are in power over Believe them to be necessary. In other words, your government only has power because the people of this nation believe that the government as it is, is necessary. When we cease to believe that they are necessary, they will cease to control us. Even if they're still there, even if there's a more limited form of government, even if they're just as big as they are, They only control you because you believe them to be necessary. They gain their power from your belief in them. And they gain all of their power from the root that the people believe that they are necessary. Please consider that. Anyway, I got a little announcement for you before I introduce our guests about the history segments. Um, and this is actually going to free me to really abbreviate them and get me a little bit quicker and, and not feel like I'm not doing justice to, to the work that, that Alex is doing, which is phenomenal. What you guys don't see when I get these things from uh, Alex is I'll usually cover one or two. There's usually three or four. Uh, there's a summary of what happened. Then there's a, a section that's his take on them. And then there's a list of sources. And the sources are extensive with more information. We now have the TSP Wiki. I've put Alex in touch with the, with the leadership team on the Wiki. And what we're going to start doing is making a Wiki entry every day for the information Alex is collecting and gathering. Uh, and we're actually going to go back in time and, and backfill all of them over time so that they'll all be there. So that these history segments and my take on them, uh, which, you know, and you're, you can go in as a Wiki editor, Because anybody can be a wiki editor and add to it. If you think, man, there's something really important that happened in that year that no one knows about, and this is how it applies to our world today, you can go in there and make that adjustment. We're building a reservoir of historical knowledge to go along with the current information and technical knowledge that's in the wiki. The wiki's awesome, guys. If you haven't been to tspwiki.com yet, you need to get over there and check out what's going on. We're building a complete database on 
radio frequencies, solar power, permaculture, homesteading skills, primitive skills, livestock, you name it, we're working on it. And again, if you get over there and go, well, why don't they have anything about? Man, get involved. And don't think you have to like do this perfect page. Get it started. What you'll find on a wiki is you start working on a page, you get a little bit going, you give a basic fundamental. like So somebody finds it, it's almost like a dictionary. It's called a stub. And as soon as that happens, other people start to see it, and they say, okay, I can add to this, and I can add to that, and I can add to this. And that's how Wikipedia became the vast resource of knowledge that it is. It's also jam full of minutiae. It's not specific to any one thing. It's a broad-based encyclopedia, and it's very politically controlled. There's certain things if you try to edit, you're, you know, kind of come down on for over there. So this is free of all that, and it's specific to our community and our niche, and it can become the go-to thing for all things prepper when it comes to being a wiki. So here's what I have. I have a contest for anybody out there with a blog today. Here's all you have to do to enter. And I'm going to pick two people at random and give them a free year of MSP if you'll do this. All you have to do is write a blog post. Any blog post about anything, homesteading, permaculture, prepping, I don't care. As long as you don't, you know, I don't want you to have a blog about kittens and bend it too much to, to somehow put zombies in it or something, okay? But a post that has something to do with something relevant to the TSP community, anything, and link one word in that post over to our wiki to a page about it. So if you did a post on investing, you could link to our investing page. If you did a post on emergency radios, you could link to our radio page. Any page you want, just one link. Any post on any blog, send me an email with a link to your post. And when you do that, um, that's all you need to do. Send me a link uh, to your post. Put blog wiki in the comment section or the subject. Blog wiki. Send me the email. Jack at the survivalpodcast.com is my email. And I will give you guys until Monday morning next week to get your entries in. And then I will pick two and give both of you guys a free year of MSB. If you already have an account, we can extend it, or you can give it away to somebody else, including if you wanted to run your own contest on your own blog, give it to your own listeners. However you want to do it, you gain a year of MSB that you can do with as you please. And it, what I want you to do, though, is make the words the link. So if you do a link on water filtration, for instance, then link the words water filtration. So those words are blue, and when your reader clicks on them, they go to our wiki. That's it. That's all you got to do to enter. With that, let's get into the main topic of today's show. I'm today joined by Jason Atkins. Jason is currently an insurance claims adjuster. He's also worked as a licensed insurance salesperson. He's extensively studied personal finance and risk mitigation. He's seven years experience now as an adjuster. Five years of experience in sales of insurance and financial products. And he's not here selling anything today. He's here just to help us all out, to help us make good decisions. And with that, hey, Jason, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Hey, Jack. Thanks for having me. So, hey, just to give people kind of a, a connection to guests, I always start out with, you know, how would you get where you're at? You're here to talk to us about insurance today. And uh, that's something that's really overlooked as a prep because, you know, people always want to prep for zombies and the apocalypse, and I don't think you have a zombie policy for me. Uh, but, you know, I always say that most people that we end up with on the show that are, you know, really informed about something aren't little kids thinking, one day I'm going to grow up and do this. And I'll bet when you were eight you didn't dream up of growing up and being an insurance expert. 
Um, so how'd you end up in the insurance world? Yeah, you're right about that. Uh, what happened, Jack, was, uh, you know, I, I uh, was in the workforce for about 10 years. I decided I wanted to go back and finish my college degree, and I did that. And, um, you know, it's uh, like the lie you talk about all the time. When you graduate, they don't say, here's your nice, cushy $100,000 a year job. Uh, I was looking for a job. So uh found an opening in the in the insurance industry and got into it, and here I am, you know, 12 years later still doing that. So uh, just kind of was looking for something to do after college, got into insurance, and, uh, you know, liked it, was liked the, the aspect of being able to help people, and uh, so here I am. Well, and I mean, when we talk about preparedness, what we're talking about is preparing in case something goes wrong, you know, quote-unquote wrong, um, like, you know, the economy collapses or, or what have you. It would be something – or there's a pandemic, but – there's a lot of other things that go wrong. We talk about it all the time with prob- probability of disaster. And, you know, losing your job or losing a loved one are things that actually can be insured against uh, a lot easier, let's say, or more practically than, you know, insuring against the entire global collapse of all economies on planet Earth. But yet it gets really overlooked, and it happens to somebody every day. So with that in mind, what are some of the most important types of insurances that people should have and on you know kind of in the same vein, what are the ones that maybe people really should have and tend not to? Yeah, I, I agree with you. And you know, I look at insurance as one of those things, just like you talk about this, the philosophy of a modern survivalist. You know, we we use GPS and we use grid power when it's available. Uh, and I look at insurance as one of those things that you know, as long as things are quote unquote normal, this is the kind of stuff that can affect your everyday life. Because if you know, if you lose a spouse that's paying the bills, or you have a fire in your house. This is a uh, this is a crap hits the fan situation for you personally. So um, you know that's kind of my take on it. It's, it's a necessary evil, but um, you know some of the most important things that people need to have, and I've got it kind of laid out here because there's you know tons of different insurance, and I just want to kind of hit the high points and then see where the conversa- conversation takes us. But I'm going to start with homeowners insurance, Jack, and renters insurance. Um, whether you own a home or whether you rent a home or an apartment, these are two types of insurance that you really need to have. Um, personal liability insurance is usually, you you know, just for you as, a, as an individual, if somebody comes on your property and trips and falls and hurts themselves, your homeowner's insurance or your renter's policy is where that liability coverage is going to come from. So let's say that you're a homeowner, um, you know, you want to have your homeowner's insurance obviously to cover damage to your house. Uh, you also want to have it to cover your personal belongings. So when, you, you know, if your house burns up or gets swept away in a flood, you know, when you lose your house, you lose all the stuff in it, your furniture, your clothes. These are all things that you have to then go out and try to replace. So your, your homeowner's or your renter's insurance is going to cover your personal items as well. Uh, there are a few differences between the homeowner's and the renter's, renter's policies, obviously. A renter's policy is not going to cover uh, the dwelling or, or the place that you live. That's something that's going to be up to your landlord. But what you want to do is ensure your belongings and ensure yourself for liability so if somebody comes over and gets hurt and those types of things. So those are, are the two main ones, you know, as far as property that you want to have. Um, as a general guideline, I tell people when, when talking about homeowners or renters insurance, go with the highest deductible that you can afford. Uh, and this really will, will also apply to a lot of the other types of policies that we're going to talk about. But there's several reasons for that. Um, if you think of your deductible as you self-insuring the first $100 or $500 or $1,000 of your loss, you're retaining that risk. So you're saying to the insurance company, I'm not going to come to you for a small $500 loss. I'm only going to come to you for big losses that go over that. And it does a couple of things. 
number one, the higher your deductible is, the lower your, your policy premiums are going to be. So you save money on a, a monthly or annual basis, however you're paying your policies. The other thing it does is it discourages you from filing really small claims, especially on your homeowner's policy or a renter's policy. And the reason that that's important, Jack, is because uh, most insurance companies, you know, if you have a if you have three losses in three years, they're gonna they're gonna cut you. They're gonna drop your coverage. And if that happens, well, they're gonna when jack you go out, the hell out of your rates, one or the other. Exactly, exactly. And this is a a scenario I used to give to people a lot when picking deductibles. Let's say that you're a homeowner and you go get your homeowner's policy and you pick a five hundred dollar deductible, which is common. Let's say that uh, you have a limb fall in your house and the damage is $750. And you decide, you know what, uh, I'm going to get, the insurance company is going to give me $250 after my deductible. I'm going to go ahead and file this claim. So you file the claim, you pay the first $500, the insurance company gives you $250. Now you've got a claim on your policy. Let's say that six months later, a tree falls on your house. Not a limb, but a tree and does $10,000 worth of damage. Well, now you don't have an option. You have to file that because you don't have ten grand laying around to fix your house. Absolutely. Well, guess what? Now you're now you're sitting there with two strikes on your policy, one of which you probably would like to go back and undo. If you get one more strike within the next two years, they're either going to jack your rates up, like you said, or they're going to drop you. And then when you have to go shop for somebody else, you're really going to pay higher rates because you're coming in as a higher risk, as a higher risk insured. Uh, can we back up just a second on that though, because you, we talked about it briefly there, but but rental insurance. Um, this is something that I think is a bigger hole for most people than homeowners because most people don't whip out a checkbook and write a $500,000 check and buy a house. They have a mortgage. And if you have a mortgage, you're going to have, you may not have the best choice, but you're going to have something or you're not getting a mortgage because no mortgage company will underwrite you without homeowners insurance. Where when you go to rent, they, you know, actually I've seen some, uh, apartments now starting to require it, by the way. But most times you just rent, you don't care. And right. the, the problem there is twofold. One, you're completely uncovered to theft, or if you think, well, if it burns down, it's the uh, the, the apartment owner's uh, problem. Well, no, it's your problem because all your stuff's burned up. Um, and right. then you have no place to live and no stuff and no money. So it's it, it, in some ways it can be a bigger problem. But I think the bigger issue that nobody gets is how freaking cheap it is. I yeah. mean, homeowners insurance, trust me, I, I've owned a house since I was 24 when I bought my first house. I'm 42, I guess now, whatever the hell I am. So I've been paying it a long time. It can be expensive. Rental insurance is dirt cheap. Yeah, yeah. it absolutely is. Uh, uh, I mean, some rental policies, you can get a renter's insurance policy, Jack, depending on your needs. I've seen them as low as $30 a month. You know, I mean, that's one meal out at the Mexican restaurant. You know, I mean, you'd be a fool not to have that, but you're right. A lot of people don't think of it because you're not required to get it unless you move into a, a newer apartment complex where a lot of those guys are requiring it. But if you're just renting a house or something, that landlord's not looking out for your personal property. They're only worried about their property. Well, they can't afford so, to look out over your property. That's not their job. That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. And, so, and it's it, not it always is. the case. It's not always the case. But wouldn't you say on average people that are homeowners are generally more financially secure than people that are not? So the person with no insurance in the rental market is probably least likely able to deal with the financial blow, and, and therefore, actually, maybe it may be more important for that person to have coverage. And generally speaking, like I said, when you own a house, you've kind of stepped up in a certain level of financial responsibility to the point where you're probably going to do it anyway. But you would be able to more absorb certain things than a person in a rental market. Uh, generally, people with rentals have less stuff. 
So what you that's lose, right. you can lose everything a lot faster, I guess, is the way I'm trying to put it. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, and and the you know this 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 uh, what you're saying there is also going to be a theme that we're going to talk about. You know, the more assets you have and the more money you have in reserve, you know, the less you need some of these smaller coverages. But especially when you're first starting out, you know, if you're a young family and if you lost all your stuff, you don't have the money to replace that. It's absolutely vital that you insure your your personal property. In my business consulting, and I kind of say find yourself a good agent, but I do talk to, you know, I don't anymore, but as I was a business consultant, what I would tell a lot of people, especially small entrepreneurs, when you have little, insure your stuff. When you have a lot, insure your liability. That's right. Because that's when you're Absolutely. a target for every, every you know, lawyer that crawls out from under a rock to be sued. Yeah, that's right, because the more you have, the more protection you need, because, you know, let's face it, as, as my grandmother used to say, you can't get blood out of a turnip. Uh, you know, if somebody runs into you and they don't have insurance and they don't have any assets, there's nothing you can do. There's no, nothing there to go after. But, you know, if you run into somebody and you've got some money sitting in a bank account, if you're not properly insured, that money is on the table because the attorney will find that you have it and they will go after it. Absolutely. So what are some of the questions that we should be asking an agent? I mean, I think a lot of people look at insurance, especially the required insurances like automotive and stuff like buying a Wilson basketball. I don't care if I get it from Walmart.com or Amazon.com. In the end, it's a Wilson basketball. But... I mean, I'm pretty well qualified to determine whether I want a basketball or a football. So when you look at insurance, your agent can be pretty important to assessing your needs. So what are some questions I should be asking a prospective agent to make sure that I'm dealing with somebody that's going to, one, make sure I'm well covered, but two, do it without seeing me as a walking dollar sign? Because I guarantee you, you could make sure I'm covered from anything, like including, I think Obamacare now, you're covered if you're bit by an orca whale. Um, it was mm-hmm. very important that they had that in there as a line item, but I don't need Oracle Whale insurance. So how do I find that balance of the guy that's going to make sure I'm well covered but isn't going to try to sell me something I don't need? Yeah, like the whale coverage. That's great. Yeah, whale um, coverage. I don't need volcano yeah. insurance either, dude. We don't, thank, we don't have any volcanoes in Dallas. Um, Peter on um, that family guy show, he bought volcano insurance, but I'm not yeah. going to do that. Thank, thank God the government's looking out for us, right? Um <laughs> Yeah, what you want, Jack, in an insurance agent is you want somebody who's going to make you aware of the coverages that he thinks you need, and it's not going to try to sell you a bunch of crap you don't need. And and they can be hard to find, but good insurance agents are out there. And the kind of things you want to ask, and this will apply to a lot of the policies we're going to talk about, but let's stay on the homeowners for now, is, you know, okay, this policy that you're quoting me, is that for actual cash value or is that for replacement cost? And what that means is, let's say that your house is, uh, you know, your house is worth $100,000, but because of, um, you know, there was a hurricane somewhere not long ago and construction supplies are in short demand, labor is in short demand, it may cost $120,000 to rebuild your house. So is this policy going to pay what my house is worth on paper, or is it going to pay what it actually costs me to replace it using like kind and quality, you know, materials and workmanship? You want to get an actual replacement cost, and that's some of the things where, you know, if you go with a bargain basement insurance carrier, their standard policy may be actual cash value, whereas if you go with any of the big guys, most of those policies are going to default to replacement coverage. And uh, so replacement coverage is one thing you definitely want to ask about. You know, uh, there's things like that, if I could just hold you there for a second, that I think it's sure. very important that you have an agent that will go over with you and actually tell you the difference in costs. Because there's been times like I'm like, do I really need that? And then when I look at the, the premiums and it's like, 
well, that's going to cost me an extra $13.40 a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I need that. Where if it was $1,300 a year, I might make a different decision. And, and instead of having the, the guy just throw it at you as, this is what you need, here's your two options, here's the difference in cost, this is why I would do that. Because mm-hmm. what you may find out is it's 13 bucks here, it's 25 bucks there. It's, when you look at all your insurances, and it's insignificant individually, but when you add it all up, all of a sudden it matters. And then you have the ability to go back and pick and choose the places where you want the additional coverage. Exactly. That's exactly right, especially when, like you said, and so many things in insurance are so cheap. You know, like uh, you, you could probably double your liability coverage for, you know, 50 or $60 a year. Well, I mean, that you could potentially, you know, add another $250,000 in liability coverage for, for pennies on the dollar, um, you know, or fractions of pennies on the dollar. So, uh, and, and this is one, you know, example of the actual replacement cost is one thing. You know, let's say that there's a surge in, in construction materials all of a sudden or something. You know, I mean, you could be talking about on a $150,000 house, you could easily be talking about twenty-five dollars or $35,000 in extra cost to build your house back like it was, you know, that, that, that $13 a year would have provided for you if you had, if you had gone ahead and, and, you know, asked for that, that endorsement or that add-on. Yeah, so, definitely. Uh, There's a lot of stuff like that where you got to do some analysis, like um, the, the mortgage insurance, right? When you If you go up to 20%, you don't have to pay the mortgage insurance. And that's, that's insurance I don't like because I'm buying that for the lender, not for me. But, like, when yeah. we made a decision on one house we bought – do we go with a 10% down, which is what we needed to get the loan, or do we go to 20% and avoid the, uh, I can't remember what you call it now. The, PMI. Yeah, right. The, right. Do we, private the primary mortgage insurance. mortgage insurance, right? Do we do we do that? And we looked at it, and we went the difference in the payment. It will take us 14 years, 14 mm-hmm. years before we'll get it back in PMI. And at that point, we looked at it and said, no, we'll go ahead with a 10% down. I'd rather have my money than put the equity into the home at this particular stage by analyzing that. And I can see other situations where you might look at a deductible and go, well, how many years does it take before I save the premium back in the deductible? And if it's a couple years, well, you can go with a higher deductible where if it's a if it's a significant period of time with a significant risk in your mind, you might make the other decision. Yeah, that's right. And 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 right along that same line of thinking is there are most companies and most carriers have sweet spots with deductibles. You know, uh, one company that I worked for, we had a chart that said, you know, if you, on your homeowner's insurance, you can choose a $500 deductible, a $1,000 deductible, you can choose a 1% deductible. And I believe it was the 1% where you really, you maximized your, your potential gain. In other words, that was the sweet spot where you got the most premium savings, but yet your deductible wasn't so high that you couldn't stomach, you know, the, the possibility of having to pay that. So those are the kind of things where you kind of have to put some pencil to paper sometimes and figure out which is the better way to go. Absolutely. Is there any maybe like a way that you explain insurance overall as to how insurance works that makes the concept simpler for people to understand? Because I think a lot of people don't really get insurance. They just see it as this thing I have to have. Yeah, you're right. They they don't they don't understand the concept. They don't understand, you know, why don't I just get whatever I want when I have a claim? Uh and I, I do have a little illustration that I use. Let's say that uh that you live in a subdivision in a neighborhood. Uh and we'll say this is one without an HOA, right? Cuz we hate HOA. Correct. <laughs> so you, let's say that you you live in a neighborhood with 100 other houses in that neighborhood. Every year you put a certain number of money into this pot. Okay? Every year 
And when Fred's house down the street burns down, Fred takes the money out of that pot to build his house back. And and that's basically how insurance works is, is all of the policyholders for, for any given company pay their premiums in. And what the insurance company does is they figure out, okay, we know from statistics that we're going to have X thousands of dollars, millions of dollars in losses any given year. This is how much premium we need to connect to collect from everybody to be able to pay those losses and hopefully make a little bit of money at the end of the day because that's what every business is in business to do is to make a little bit of money. So uh, if, if Fred takes his money out of the house, out of the pot to rebuild his house, uh, there's a little bit of money left in there. And so if two or three houses burn down that year, then everybody has to put a little bit more money in the pot. And that's basically how it works. Yeah, and I think that's why people like just think when they see something catastrophic like a Hurricane Sandy or a Hurricane Katrina, and insurance companies are like, well, we just can't pay everybody right now, and we have to get adjusters out there and start doing this over a, a time frame. They're like, well, it's just a bunch of greedy insurance companies. But there's a certain amount of the truth to the old adage that blood doesn't come from a stone. And, and while blood doesn't come from a stone, which we mentioned earlier, there's another adage I would tell you that if I if I hang up an animal and slit its throat and bleed it out like a chicken, only so much blood's coming out of that chicken. And when there's no more blood, it might as well be a stone at that point. You can't get any more out anymore. It's it's done bled dry. And some of these big things maybe don't bleed an insurance company dry, but they take their catastrophic loss fund, I guess you'd call it, down to the wire where they have to run some cycles to be able to issue those checks. Unlike a bank, they can't just print money. That's right. Yes, that's exactly right. And when you when you look at something, you know, the, the size of Hurricane Katrina or Hurricane Sandy, where you've got billions and billions of dollars worth of damage, you know, the small insurance companies, uh, you know, a lot of those small ones, what we call the, the low-cost provider, they may not have a, enough money in the pot to pay the claims. You know, and, and uh, a, a major hurricane or a major catastrophic event can wipe out a small insurance company. You know, whereas if you take the state farms and the all states and the uh, USAAs of the world, um, you know, those guys are big enough that they're collecting premium from a big enough area that, you know, if they have a huge loss in New Orleans, they can pull, they can pull money from other resources. You know, they've, they've got a big enough pot to pull out of, but, but depending on the size of the insurance company, there may just not be enough money there, you know, to cover all those losses because they have actuaries that sit down and figure out how much money we're going to pay out every year in claims. And if you have something like a Katrina that comes in and just blows everything out of the water, I mean, they don't count on those events happening very often. And and, and the only way to, to be able to, to account for that or to prepare for that is to charge people more premium, you know, because you got to remember the, the insurance company is doing a balancing act of getting enough premium from you to cover everybody's losses but yet not charge you so much premium that you say, you guys are too high, I'm going over here somewhere else. So they're competing with everybody else's premium, but yet trying to bring in enough money to cover losses and hopefully make enough money for the investors at the end of the day that you know it's, it's worth them investing in the company. Yeah, how so, about how um, deductibles work from the side of the insurance company? Because that's really important to them as well. Yeah, it is, and, and um, you know the the main reason for the deductible is to discourage claims. Because if, if you had no deductible, Jack, on any of your claims, you wouldn't think anything of filing your claims. You know, or, or you probably would, because you know at the end of the day, if you file enough claims, you're either going to start paying a whole lot of premium, or they're going to drop you. But there's a lot of less sophisticated people out there, Jack, who who don't understand that concept. 
they only know that, oh, you mean I can file this claim and I can get money and it doesn't cost me anything? So that's really what the purpose of the deductible is, is, is for you to self-insure the first part of any loss that you have. Um, and that's good for the insurance company because you don't file any claims, and it's good for you because you don't have to pay as much premium. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I think the other side of it is that from an insurance company's perspective, it limits their liability because if I'm looking at a thing where the average damage outside of catastrophic things is about a thousand bucks, and even if it's, I know that even if it's like the guy gets a damage of like eleven hundred dollars, most people won't even bother to do it for a hundred bucks. Not even from the logical reasons that that you're giving, but like it's a lot of pain in the butt for a hundred dollars, and right. it's only going to result in like you said a strike against my policy of being someone that files claims. Um, so it's not really worth it. So it's not just less claims. It's like, and then even if there is a claim, let's say it's a $1,500 claim. Well, now they're only on the hook for 500 bucks. That's right. Yeah. And with auto claims, um, you know, the the nationwide average is probably somewhere between two and $3,000, probably even less than that for, for automotive claims. So if the average deductible is $500, you know, that's, that could be a potentially a fourth or a fifth of the loss amount right there on every claim that they can count on not having to pay because of the deductible. Absolutely. Um, so when people are looking at deductibles, how do they make the decision on, uh, you know, high or low or mid medium? How do they find that sweet spot you're talking about? Yeah, that what you want to do is you want to say, okay, price me this policy with a $100 deductible, price it to me with a 500 and with a 1000 And actually, let me back up. Pick the highest amount that you would feel comfortable with. So if a $500 deductible is the absolute most, if you think that $500 is the most you could come up with if you wrecked your car or if you had a, you know, a claim on your house, then make it 500. So don't make it more than you have the ability to put your hands on because that means it doesn't matter how much insurance you have. If you don't have the deductible money, then you're not going to be able to get your repairs done because you've got to pay that first, that first 500 or whatever it is. So, you know, let's look at a $500 deductible and a 100. Okay. What's the difference in the premium? And then you just say, okay, like what you were talking about earlier. So if the difference is $50 a year in premium, how long would it take me to come up with that extra money to, you know, to save that, that deductible money back? And you may say, oh wow, you know, it saves me enough in premium that I'll take the risk of having to pay that 500 deductible because my, my payments are going to be you know, $75 a month less, and I'm going to make that up in less than a year. Or you may say, you know what, it's not really not going to save me that much. I'm going to drop the deductible down lower. So if I do have a loss, I don't have to cost as much cash out of pocket. So it just, uh, you know, and, and I, what I always recommend to people is, you know, if you're sitting there, if you've got a $10,000 emergency fund and you've got, you know, you can put your hands on some money, I would go with the highest deductible you're comfortable with. I mean, I would put a $1,000 deductible on collision coverage on your car all day long if you've got 20 grand sitting in a bank account, you know, a non-retirement account. Uh, same thing with homeowners. If you've got significant assets, I would go with maybe even a 1% or a 2% deductible. Uh, and, and what you're doing there is you're self-insuring that first part of that law. So you're saying to the insurance company, look, you know, if if, uh, if I've got a 1% deductible on a $100,000 house, it's the same thing as a $1,000 deductible. I'm not going to come to you guys unless I have a, a loss greater than a thousand dollars. And what that, what I would say is really you shouldn't come to the insurance company unless you have a two thousand dollar loss because I would say to you, if you can afford to pay for the damage out of pocket and it won't hurt you, it won't put you in a bad spot, I would not file that claim because I don't want that claim count against me 
um, not because of one claim. But what if you turn around and have another one? Now you're sitting there with two, like what we talked about earlier. Yeah, so and you might really need that coverage later. That's that's the big thing. That's it. it. Or that's even if you it. don't need it, you might end up paying a hell of a lot more in the long run. That's right. And and what we would have, Jack, and see, here's the thing about, especially with homeowner's insurance, if you file a claim, a lot of times that gets denied or that ends up being no payout, a lot a lot of companies will still count that claim against you. Even though you've got no payout, they'll count that as a file claim. And they'll say, well, sir, you've had two claims within the last two years. That's going to raise your premium 10%. Or what you'll see with a lot of the big guys is they'll say, we can't insure you. We, we can't take your business because you're, you're, you're getting to be too big of a risk. You know, and, and now you're going to the small carriers and you're paying more, even more premium. Yeah, because so, they, um, they need your business where the big carrier doesn't need your business, just to be honest. I mean, all state, right. state farm don't need anybody's business. They'd like it. The agent selling it to you would like to have the commission, but in the end, if you don't buy from Allstate, they don't really lose any sleep tonight over it. That's right, because they want the best risks anyway, you know. And, and, and what I used to tell people, you know, as I say, look, if they call in to file a claim, I say, listen, please don't take this to mean that I'm trying to discourage you from filing the claim so we don't have to pay out any money. Because we well, got money in the it, bank. First of all, right, you're not paying it. That's right. So you're, that's right. It's not you don't have self interest there. <laughs> yeah. That's right. But, you know, I, I'll be, because people will say, oh, you're just trying to get out of paying the claim. No, that's not it. I'm trying to be your advocate and I'm trying to advise you in a professional capacity and say, my recommendation to you is do not file this small claim because you might be back in here in six months saying, oh, God, I wish I hadn't filed that small claim because now i got a big claim and now I'm sitting here with two strikes. You know, and that, that's, that's, uh, that's something that we, we run into a lot. And if I could relay so, a simple story of how that actually pays off in the end, um, mm-hmm. I've had State Farm Automotive Insurance since I was 16 years old. Through multiple states, I've always stuck with the same company. I have a track record rhythm. I had zero claims for t- almost 20 years. Um, mm-hmm. I got in a wreck in 2008 or nine, somewhere in there, and um, it ended up being my fault. It, it kind of mm-hmm. was, but it wasn't really. But by the legal definition, it was totally on me. Uh, total damages to my vehicle, all other vehicles, and a lady with a bullshit um medical claim was over thirty thousand dollars my if i had that wreck when i was 22 i'd have been paying out of the butt for insurance my rates didn't even go up that's right because i had that long track record with him i didn't have accident forgiveness or anything like that it was i was actually surprised when we got our bill and it didn't go up yeah and state farm and 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 there's several you know a lot of the other companies will do this too i happen to have uh you know knowledge of state farm specifically but they have, you know, accident-free discounts. They have a, a, a 10-year, I think a 15-year, or I think it's like a, a, a 6, 8, and 10-year. If you have one accident, Jack, and you've been insured with them for a long time, you don't even lose your accident-free discount for the first accident. Really? But but yeah. guess what? If you have a claim every year or every other year, you can kiss all that goodbye because yeah. you're now a high risk. You know? Well, it's also it sucks worse for young people. I remember... Like, when I was, like, 18, auto insurance was so expensive, and I was driving a jalopy. You know, I had this car that was worth, like, $300, and I was paying, like, $1,000 insurance to drive that jalopy around. I'm actually probably paying less for full coverage today than I paid for, you know, liability and what was required to drive when I was 18, which 
seems crazy, but when you think about how you act when you're 18, it sort of makes sense. Well, they know that that, that uh, young men are, are aggressive drivers and, and may, you know, like to drag race and things like that. And uh, they're not worried about your jalopy. What they're worried about is you running into somebody's $100,000 Mercedes and having a $100,000 medical claim. Yeah, they, <laughs> you know, they, they weren't worried about my uh, my seventy five grand pre with the giant pointed hood. They were worried about what that pointed hood would go into. And, and what exactly that 6,000 right. pounds of car, or what it would do to something when it hit it. And with, with some That's reasoning, right. I guess, behind that. Um, That's right. When, when we look at that, though, I mean, car insurance, again, is one of those things like if you have a car, <laughs> you, you almost almost everywhere in this country, you have to have insurance. I actually think they don't require it in Vermont, which is weird. Mm-hmm. Um, of all the other things they regulate there, you don't have to have insurance in the, on a car. But in, in inst- yeah. most people have a car, they have insurance. If you have a car loan, you definitely have insurance, so you, you can't get your loan on your car. Um, right. But another place where people leave a hole is insuring their life. You know, That's I right. mean, I think nobody wants to, especially when you're in your 20s, you don't have anything about dying. Uh, and look, yeah. uh, you know, if you're 26 and you have no kids and you have no wife and you go out and hang out with your buddies every night in the bar and you you, you, you play Nintendo and you do your job and you have your career – uh, as long as you got enough money laying around, they can put you in. Your parents can put you in a hole. I, I think you're fine. But as you start to have people depending on you, that in, you know, you start looking at your kids and thinking you're the primary breadwinner. What are they going to do if you're not there? That's a huge hole in people uh, in their protection. It is. It is. And um, you know, I used to just be amazed, Jack, at people's attitudes. You know, I'd have a family sitting in my office, a, a husband that has a factory job, you know, making fifty, sixty grand a year. The wife stays home with three children, and and I say, you know, all right, tell me about your life insurance. Well, well, that you know, isn't that gambling? I don't have life insurance. That's gambling. I said, no, what's gambling is you not having life insurance because you know, if you get killed on the way home from work, your wife's sitting there with three children. She no longer has a paycheck. You know, the first thing she's got to do besides marrying you is find a new place to live because she can't make the house payment. Yeah. You know, it's it's just absolutely imperative that if you have people depending on your income that you have life insurance. Um, now, now, life insurance is a bit of a rabbit hole, but we'll keep it simple for the for the for the purposes of this conversation. You know, there's there's two main types of life insurance. You've got uh, what's called permanent life, which may be whole life, universal life, variable universal, all that kind of stuff. And then on the other side of that, you've got term life insurance. Insurance agents are going to try to sell you permanent life insurance because it's a lot more expensive and they make a lot more money off of it. That doesn't mean it's all bad. And if you can afford it, it has some benefits. You know, if if you're uh, somebody that's wealthy and you can get some tax benefits and things like that out of permanent life insurance. But for most people, Jack, uh, term life is going to fill the need. You know, if you're if you're 25 year old man and you're healthy, you can buy half a million dollars in life insurance for 30 or 40 dollars a month. You know, and with a 20 year term too. So it's well because the the insurance agent that wants to sell you a whole life policy say, well, your rates can go up. Well, it ain't going to go up for freaking 20 years. And a lot of those That's policies right. now have things with if you keep it, there's a guaranteed renewability and things, and guaranteed right. extensions, and opportunities to convert in the future if you decide you want whole life. I, right. I can only think of one instance, and you mentioned it, that I ever had an agent explain to me why whole life made sense. And he was a financial advisor slash insurance agent. He wouldn't mm-hmm. touch a client with a net worth under $2 million. He was a high net mm-hmm. worth advisor, and he didn't even like $2 million. I mean, he was looking for $10 million right. and up. And right. he said, I can avoid so much inheritance tax with this for these people. 
Right. And he said that's he said that's that's what it's all about. I can get put things into position for them. I can also do things to basically save property that they do not want to convert to cash because once you get over a certain value of property, then it's subject to inheritance tax, but the person doesn't have the money to pay for the property, so they have to dissolve the property to retain right. the other side of it so I can insure it for enough that when when dad dies, they can take the money and and basically save the farm from the government is the way he put it. Exactly. And it made sense. And that was about it. Yeah, and there's a, you know, along those lines, there's a, a real life story that happened around here where there was a local farm that was worth about a million dollars. Well, that sounds like a lot of money. But when you're talking about farm equipment, Jack, and you're talking about land and tractors and all that, a million dollars is really not that much money. But guess what? When dad dies and leaves the fam the farm to the family, you know, they've, they've got a three or $400,000 tax bill that's due in 30 days. Yeah. And, and so life insurance in that case will give you the money to pay the taxes so you don't have to sell the family farm. And guess what? If you've got to sell it in a hurry, you've got to sell it for 50 or 60% of what it's worth. Correct. So that means you sell a million-dollar farm for, let's say, 700000 You pay 400000 in taxes. So now your million-dollar nest egg is now worth three hundred grand split between three children. And, and you know, it ain't like yeah. the government goes, oh, you only got seven hundred for it. We'll reappraise the value of what you owe us. They still want the money based right. on the inherited appraised value. That's exactly right. So life insurance will do a lot of really neat things. And, and you know, the more, the more affluent you become, the more you need to look into those things. So people that, that have financial advisors or that have high net worth, you know, they're going to be meeting with somebody who's going to go over all of this stuff with them on a case-by-case basis. Yeah, but and what, I want to you know, point what, out one thing in that world, that because I, I, I think there's people that think there's a loophole that there sort of is but isn't. Let's say you were my son. Now, I can actually give you a very large amount of money as a gift while I'm still mm-hmm. alive, and I can, we can avoid all the taxes in the world over that, and it's it's in the millions of dollars. I don't remember how much it is. But I cannot do it with property. I can only do it with cash. So if you're thinking, when I'm a couple months away from my deathbed, I'll just gift it to my children, you're Mm -hmm. still at a conversion problem. You have to convert it. It, You can do it with cash money, but you cannot do it with real estate. And and so I've I've actually talked to one guy that thought that's what he would do. I'll just give it to him right before I'm ready to die. And and it, it doesn't work with real estate, at least to my understanding. Yeah, and that's and, and that's the way I understand it too. And, and you know, I'm not a financial planner, and I'm not an attorney. And, and for somebody in that situation, you know, you really need to meet with with an estate planning attorney uh, because they're going to be able to tell you to the letter of the law exactly what you can and can't do. But just something for people to keep in mind is that life, what life insurance can do for you is it can take a nest egg and it can leverage it into much more money. So you know, if you're 60 years old and you're in great health and you've got a half million dollars in the bank. You can take that half million dollars and turn it into a million and a half, uh, so that, you know, you give your children enough to pay all the taxes and still end up with more money than what you had. Uh, so those are some, you know, there's a lot of stuff that you can do with life insurance, life insurance along those lines. But if you're in that situation, you're going to be meeting with an estate planning attorney to give you very specific case by case basis, you know, information. Um, but for the rest of us, for the masses, for those of us who are, you know, Joe Sixpack who don't have millions of dollars in the bank, the main thing to remember is that you have to have some life insurance if you have anybody depending on your income. And you can buy a lot of term life insurance for cheap. It doesn't last forever, and yes, it will get more expensive over time. But guess what? Your children aren't young and depending on your income for more than 20 years, hopefully. 
You know, right. They're they're going to be out of the house and making their own money and hopefully taking care of you by then. So, um, you know, if you buy and what I've done, Jack, and my, for my own personal life insurance is, you know, my wife and I got married. We went and bought a twenty year term policy. Five years later, I went and bought another year twenty twenty year term policy. So what I've done is kind of stack them so that every five years I'm buying another term policy for maybe a little bit less money. But each time I do that, I'm extending it out another five years. Um, you know, so that's something else that you can do. But when you go to buy term life insurance, it's relatively cheap. Shop it around. If you've got an insurance agent that you like, that you trust, just go in and tell them what you want. You know, they can give you the quotes on it. Um, you mentioned a couple of things earlier that are worth noting, and I've got a very quick story uh, to tell you why. You can buy guaranteed insurability so that, you know, you can say every on the fifth anniversary of your policy, we're, we will guarantee to sell you more life insurance at this rate if you want to pay for this. Um, you've got waiver of premium options, so if you become disabled or something like that, that will take over the payments and continue your life insurance policy. Hey, and if that costs you three or four dollars a month, Jack, it's probably worth doing because uh, you know uh, a, a young man between 18 and say 40, and depending on where you look, the statistics are different. You know, the numbers vary. But let's just say you're two to three times more likely to need disability insurance than you are life insurance. So if you become disabled, then this the, the policy can pay its own premium for you. So that's something that you might want to look into. Um, my brother, who is uh, 32 years old, um, when uh, when I first started selling life insurance, I sold him a life policy. Uh, about six months later, he was diagnosed with a very rare heart condition, and he uh, had to have a pacemaker at 30 years old. He's now uninsurable. So the, the moral of that story is don't put it off. If you're eligible for life insurance, buy it today because you never know. You could be perfectly healthy, and the next thing you know, you're diagnosed with cancer or something, and you can't buy life insurance. So yeah, you, know, or you could be diagnosed with things where maybe you can, but you're going to be rated out the butt like adult yeah. onset diabetes. Exactly. Uh, that will make and, a rate go up, brother. I mean, it does. Oh, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I, I pay a little bit more than standard for my life insurance, but, um, you know, when you're – when you're 20 and healthy, you can buy a million dollars for $50 a, a month. You know, if you, you get diabetes or something, that could turn into $250 a month very easily. You know, so, so buy it when you're young and healthy, especially if you've got and, – and here's the thing, Jack. People say, well, what do I need it for? Okay, well, let's, let's talk about the things that you might need life insurance for if you have a family. First of all, to pay for the house, okay, if your wife doesn't work or your husband doesn't work. To, uh, if you have a daughter, do you want her to get married one day? Do you want her to have some money to get married? Let's put some money in a savings account for that. You know, you may want to help your children go to college. You may not. College may not be right for them. But if you have the money, guess what? You have the option to help them pay for that. Um, something else that used to come up a lot, Jack, was people say, why do I need life insurance on children? Well, that's a great question. One thing is that, you know, Sure, you can bury somebody for a thousand dollars, but you're not going to give them a nice funeral for a thousand dollars. It's going to cost you ten grand to do that. So, you know, and if your child dies, you're going to want to give them a nice funeral. So, let's insure them for ten thousand dollars. But the other thing is, how soon after your child dies do you think you're going to want to go back to work? Most moms and even dads, if my daughter died, I wouldn't be ready to work in a week. Life insurance gives you time off work to grieve, if nothing else. So, you know, if you've got $100,000 on your child, you, you can take six months off, you know, if that's what you need. So just it, what life insurance does is gives you options that you would not have otherwise. Well, it also does some other things. So 
I think parents don't really want to think about this. I mean, I wanted to, when, when my son was young, especially, I certainly wanted to think nothing at all about either myself dying and leaving them behind, my wife dying and leaving us behind, or him dying. But when I had to think about all of those, they would go in this order of if I had to pick me first, her second, mm-hmm. him last. I mean, no one wants to lose a child, so it's the one you push out of your mind the most. The the emotional components of this, though, that are in the aftermath are massive, especially if they have siblings. The the emotional components of the children that are you know siblings of this child that maybe has been lost, and it's not just not going to work. It's things like professional counseling, mm-hmm. and we have a lot of people in this audience that are pretty tough guys. And you think you know I'm fine, I'll deal with it. I don't want to, but man, there's there's certain things that just having somebody to talk to for a few months that you can't do with you, especially you talk about a high cause of divorce, loss of a child in a, in a, in a marriage is huge. And both mm-hmm. sides being able to go talk to somebody invent and get it out without eventually exploding on each other might save the marriage, not alone the emotional stability, but what about the kid's brother or sister and being mm-hmm. able to say, not, I want to take you to talk to the priest or, or minister will do it for free. Or, you know, the guy from the state that's available that, you know, got his minimum wage job because he couldn't get a real one. But be able to say, I want to pick a quality person that's not going to, you know, like we did this when my, my son's birth father died. We took him first to a person that was recommended by his pediatrician. And I almost mm-hmm. put the guy through the wall because he said he was clinically depressed and wanted to put him on medication. I'm like, mm-hmm. well, of, of course he's sad. His father died last week. So we got him out of there and we got him into some professional level of counseling. Now, you know, I was involved. I had my career developed. We could just afford to pay the guy. But in a in a in a in a family, let's say mom and a, and one sibling are lost in a car. Mm-hmm. You know, and you got a sibling and a single other. You know, the father left. You're in so much of a strained emotional and financial situation. You can't make the emotional situation go away, but you can put things in place to help you deal with it. You can make the financial problem if not go away, at least be deferred till later and give you time to adapt and then come back at living life again. That's right. Absolutely right. I would have been good at selling this stuff if I would have stayed in the business, but <laughs> I didn't last. I did it for about I did it for about a month. Uh but I was with a company that wasn't really looking out for people. They I got I was pretty good at it. They sent me out to basically write insurance to old people that already had insurance. Um right. And it was it was uh, it was it was uncool. And also, that is actually if you've ever heard me rail on the pharmaceutical industry, that was I think I was 22 years old, and that was my eye opener. I'd go in and sit down with these older folks and say, "Okay, well, are you on any medication since you know you bought your insurance with us?" Oh yeah, hold on, and out come the pills, <laughs> right? And I think you have to put what it is why they're on it. And you okay, this one's for my back. Okay. What's this one? That does that. What's that for? Well, I get indigestion because the first one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. What's this one? Well, that one makes me shake. So I take mm-hmm. this one to help with my shakes. And there'd be like mm-hmm. eight pills, and only two of them were things that actually weren't side effects of other things. And mm-hmm. it jaded me. And that kind of brings me into the one that we're going to be careful how we talk about this because we can do a whole like two hours of bitching about what's happened. But what about health insurance for people? I mean, what are people to do with that, especially now? Yeah, you're right. We could do a whole show on nothing but health insurance and not even, you know, break the tip of the iceberg. But, uh, you know, just a couple of a couple of pieces of advice. Um, 
you know, unless you're really young and really healthy, and even then I wouldn't recommend going without health insurance because you're one diagnosis away from a catastrophe, you know, um, and young people, healthy people get sick too. But if nothing else, Jack, if you're self-employed or if you're, you don't get uh, group coverage through your employer, if nothing else, at least get catastrophic coverage. And what I mean by that is you may have a $5,000 deductible and people say, well, what good does that do me? That doesn't cover my doctor visits. Well, you know what? Your doctor visits aren't going to bankrupt you. Getting, no. uh, you know, brain cancer and having this, you know, millions of dollars in health and insur- health bills and doctor bills, that will bankrupt you. Yeah. So, yeah. so if you get the catastrophic coverage, you pay for all the small stuff out of pocket, and then that way if you have to go into the hospital, if you get into a serious auto accident, things like that, you're going to have some kind of coverage for it. Um, you just have to shop around, go to different different companies, ask them, you know, how much is the premium, how much is the deductible, what is my maximum out of pocket, and something else you really need to check for is what is the maximum benefit because a lot of policies uh, will say, oh, by the way, the maximum annual benefit is $100,000 on this policy. Well, if you have a million dollars worth of medical bills, that doesn't really help Which you Which is not much, unheard of at all. And with the way hospitals handle an insured patient, you're going to have a bigger bill than you're supposed to anyway. They double bill. Absolutely. They, I mean, what 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 hospitals bill is criminal. That's, we don't because we can go there if we if we're not careful. But a lot of what's what the, the proposed expensive of healthcare is the hospital bills X, so the insurance company will pay Y, and the price is BS. But when it goes over that maximum benefit, they don't do that for you. If it's a two hundred thousand right. dollar bill and the, the insurance company is responsible for a hundred of it, they might pay thirty on that hundred, but they want a hundred on the other hundred from you. That's right. That's right. And I, I've got a friend who's self-employed. His wife needed an MRI. He had a catastrophic policy. He called in and said, "If I file this through insurance, what will it cost me?" They said it'll be seventeen hundred dollars for the MRI. Hmm. He went to the place, told him he didn't have insurance. They said. $500 the day of service, $500 30 days later. He paid a grand out of pocket. He would have paid 1700 out of pocket had he routed it through insurance. And the insurance company would have paid freaking $500. Yeah, that, that, that's the big scam. That's the, yeah. we, like I said, we won't go there. But I mean, what's going on right now right. with health insurance is a nightmare. My wife has had problems with her insurance all since this Obamacare crap kicked in at the end, mm-hmm. where. First, they didn't. They took money out of her account like they were supposed to out of our account, and then they didn't take enough, and they took some more. So then they said that she was canceled, mm-hmm. and well, she had to stay on the phone for three and a half hours to find out she actually had a positive balance, but can't was canceled anyway. And then they fixed mm-hmm. it, and then just recently they took a charge out for about one and a half times what they're supposed to, um, mm-hmm. and she called them back, and. She, like instead of three hours on the phone on hold, this time she got just basically call back later, and it's from yeah. all this mess. And that begs the question for the person that doesn't have insurance trying to get it right now, unless they're going to go get Obamacare on the Obamacare website if that thing even works yet. You know right. how hard is it to even talk to somebody about this right now? You know, it it, it really is a nightmare, Jack. It's an absolute nightmare. I, I'm, you know, I have group coverage, and I'm going through something right now where they denied a claim for me for $5,000. I've been fighting them since July. They owe for the claim. I had coverage. It wasn't preexisting. They, they they screwed something up in the paperwork, and so now the hospital is billing me. You know, and it, when every time I call, it's an hour on hold. It's just a nightmare, and it's only going to get worse. 
What I would suggest to people is there's a guy in my town who runs a uh, – who, who he is an agent. He is a health insurance agent. If you can find somebody who does that, go sit down in, in front of somebody say, here's what I need. They're going to have relationships with insurance carriers. They're going to say, we've got three carriers to pick from. Here's what the premiums are. And you deal with that agent. And guess what? He's going to get a little cut of your premium. But yeah. you know what? Having somebody that you can get on the phone to help you is worth paying 10 or 15 or $20 more a month. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because as long as he can get through. I mean, we're, my wife's dealing that's with right. Who does she have? She has Aetna, I think. Or Blue Cross yeah. Blue Shield. We have different companies. because, right. And that's another thing people need to look at. It's not always best for a married couple to have a policy together with one company. It saved nope. us a lot right. of money. I went, I think, with Concentra, and she went with Blue Cross. Um, yeah. And it saved us a lot of money to do that. Um, but she called the headquarters building up in Richardson, like, you know, for stuff outside of general customer service. And the lady mm -hmm. up there told her, well, I have to call the same number you do. <laughs> Wait, just as long as you do right now. So it is a mess. I We won't go much deeper in this, but I'll just say it again because I've said it before, and new people should hear this. I said before this happened, before the bill was on the floor, uh, mm -hmm. when they were talking about writing the bill, that it was designed to do what it's doing, which is totally make a mess out of the whole thing. Because I'd say in two years, people that fought against government health care are going to turn around and beg for it because this market is so ravaged now and so messed up, and people are going to be bankrupted by this. My insurance went up $150 a month because I had a very high deductible. Because I can cover the deductible, and I'm only insured with health insurance, so I don't go bankrupt. That's that's right. that's why I have it. My insurance went up because my insurance company was required to lower my deductible, even though I was happy with it and they were happy with it. This new legislation required them not to have it. I think my deductible was ten thousand, and like it's capped at like seventy five hundred bucks or something now. Jack, the government knows what's best for you, buddy. I see that, man. <laughs> and you're covered by wheel bikes now, so I mean everything's everything's lovely. <laughs> let's uh, let's leave health insurance, so we'll get bogged down in it deep. Yeah. Uh, homeowners insurance, like your your health, is like the thing that can cost you a million dollars because if it's a choice between being a million dollars in debt and being dead, most people will choose the debt. The other right. thing that can put you in a harm's way the biggest, we've talked about a little bit already, though, is your house. It's most people's right. biggest liability asset, right? I call it a liability right. asset because people think it's an asset, but if you don't own it and you owe against it, it's a liability. So people struggle with it, so I just call it a liability asset. You want to see right. it be a liability asset, <laughs> let it get blown down in a storm or burned up in a fire. So mm -hmm. coming back to this at the end, since it's our biggest risk for most people, other than probably legal liability, what are the most important things to know and consider about a home insurance uh, policy? Okay, I'll, uh, I'll hit the high points here and make sure we cover everything we need to. Uh, biggest thing is going to be ask about the replacement cost versus the actual value. Um, something else that people need to note about home insurance, homeowner's insurance and flood and uh, renter's insurance, it does not cover flood from rising water, which means flash floods, which means hurricanes, which means storm surges. You have to buy a separate flood policy. What most homeowners' policies will cover is wind-driven rain, meaning that if a, a storm blows the roof off your house and then it rains in your house, that's covered. But if the water rises and just comes into your house, you've got to have separate flood policy for that. Yeah. Um, 
And if you're anywhere where you think there's any kind of a chance that you may ever have, you know, look at the 100-year floodplain, get an elevation certificate, talk to your neighbors. Uh, most people probably need flood insurance. Unless you're up on a hill or you know for a fact it's never going to flood that high, you know, or you think you know for a fact. And flood insurance is not usually that expensive. It's usually two or $300 a year. So it's not, you know, it, it's pretty reasonable. So check in the flood, flood coverage because it's not a part of your homeowner's policy, in, in, you know, mo in most cases that I've ever seen anyway. Um, personal property, make sure you've got enough coverage on your personal possessions. And I'll mention here, if you have firearms collections, which a lot of this audience I know does, if your wife has jewelry, if you have rare stamp collections, things like that, a lot of times you can get endorsements added to your homeowner's policy or your renter's policy where you increase the standard limit. So, for example, the standard coverage on my homeowner's insurance policy for firearms is $1,000. Well, for like $50 a year, I was able to raise that to $5,000. And that still doesn't cover what I have invested in guns, but five grand is a lot better than one grand, and for $50 a year, I'll take it. So, um, you know, ask about the endorsements and the, the you know, uh, the add-ons for things like that. You can also buy uh, personal articles policies. Um, for your jewelry, for your firearms, for your for your stamp collections, or you know large tool collections, anything that's out of the ordinary, um, you want to make sure you have those things properly insured. Um, ask about uh, something that everybody should have added on to their policy is a backup of of sewer. Whether you're on a septic system or whether you're on city sewer, some policies cover it automatically. Uh, some do not. If your if your sewage backs up into your house, you can imagine what a mess that would be to clean up. Make sure that that's something that's, that's covered on your policy. Um, on the liability coverage, which is part of your homeowner's or your renter's policy, uh, check and see what your liability coverage is. Most homeowner's policies and renter's policies that I'm familiar with uh, default to $100,000. That may be enough for you. My wife is a nurse, so we added a nurse's liability endorsement for $500,000 just in case she's ever personally sued, and I think it was $40 a year for that, Jack. It's insanely mm. inexpensive to add. Um, if you have a lot of assets, something you'll want to look into, and this goes above, uh, is a personal umbrella policy. They call it an umbrella because it goes over your homeowners, over your auto policies. So let's say that you have a $100,000 liability on your homeowner's policy. Uh, neighbor's kid comes over there, jumps on your trampoline, break something and you get sued for $200,000, they will max out your homeowner's policy and then your umbrella policy will kick in for extra liability. Those are usually pretty cheap. You can buy a $100,000 umbrella policy, excuse me, a million-dollar umbrella policy, a couple hundred dollars a year, Jack. I mean, yeah, it's, and it's I think cheap. business owners, it's even more important. That's right. If you are if you want a business, you've got to have business liability, absolutely. Um and, and, you know, business policies are a little different. Everything I'm talking about is mainly for, for homeowners and individuals. But all of this stuff applies to business, too. It's usually just a little bit more expensive for the same stuff, you know, for a business. So, um, let's see, that's pretty much it on the homeowners. Uh, just to hit a couple high points on the automotive stuff, we talked about deductibles already. You know, people say, do you want full coverage? Well, I, I don't really like that term, Jack, because it means different things to different people. You've got comprehensive, you've got collision, you've got liability, you've got uninsured, underinsured motorists, you've got rental, you've got uh, roadside assistance. Those are all, you know, maybe included in one person's definition of full coverage. But you need to look at the specific coverages that you need. If you have a newer car um, that, that, you know, either you have a loan on, if you have a loan on it, you're going to be required to have comp and collision and liability. 
but even if it's a car that's paid off, you know, if you've got a truck jack that's paid off and it's worth $10,000, if you don't have the money sitting around to replace it or you don't want to have to replace it, then put comp and collision on it. Um, comprehensive is going to cover your things like theft, fire, vandalism, hitting a deer, flood, any of that stuff. So you're, you're far more likely to use your comp coverage. So what I recommend to people is have a fairly low comprehensive deductible, maybe a hundred bucks, and then like a 500 on your collision. You, you got to look deer, at the, the insured value too, though, especially for right. people like me that buy a vehicle new, put full insurance on it, um, pay it off in a couple of years at most, mm-hmm. drive it for 10 more. You mm-hmm. get to a point where if you don't make a change on your insurance, you're paying for coverage you don't have. Because let's say mm-hmm. you buy a truck like my diesel that brand new was worth about $60,000. I bought it used. It was worth about twenty five. Well, mm-hmm. it ain't worth twenty five now. And the replacement right. value isn't twenty five. So if I'm carrying twenty five thousand dollars in value of insurance on that vehicle and totaled out the insurance company's only going to give me twelve five, well that's mm-hmm. all I'm getting. Yeah, and, and most uh insur- uh automotive policies, Jack, if you have a like I've got a truck that's been insured with State Farm for ten years. Um the poly- the premium on that truck goes down every year. And part of that is because they're reducing the amount it's insured because the book value of the truck is going down. And ours so, does too, but I'm not, and I'm with State Farm. I'm not sure that all eight, all companies do that. Yeah, they may not. It's, and, and, and listen, everybody should go over all of your insurance at least every two years, if not every year. Just sit down and look at all your policies. Most insurance agents will be happy to sit down and go over your policies with you because they they think there's a chance that they're going to sell you something, but also a good agent will appreciate the fact that you're you're staying with them for a long period of time, and they're happy to sit down and go over your coverage with coverages with you. Make sure you have what you need and aren't paying for what you don't need. Um, you know, so that that is a good point. You've got to look at the value of the vehicle and whether it makes sense to you or not to have that comp and that collision coverage on there. Um, you know, things like rental coverage. If you've got a spare vehicle, you probably don't need rental coverage. It's cheap. You know, it might be $20 a month, but if you don't need it, you don't need it. If you've got two spare cars, you don't need rental coverage. Um, you know, roadside assistance is usually dirt cheap. I think I pay $3 a month for roadside assistance. It'll tow me up to 100 miles if I break down. You know, why not have that for 3 bucks a month? It's a cup of coffee, you know. Uh, let's see here. Uninsured motorist, Jack, this is something a lot of people do not understand. Uninsured motorist is there in case somebody hits you that doesn't have insurance, but there's a lot more to it than that. Let's say that somebody runs into you and puts you in the hospital and they don't have insurance. You can now get lost wages and medical bills through your uninsured motorist policy. Now, this may vary by state and it may vary by company, but generally speaking, your uninsured and underinsured motorist will protect you from a lot of things other than just damage to your car. Um, so that's something that people need to, you know, make sure that you, you have. I believe it's in most states it's a requirement. Um, but, but it is important to have that coverage. You want that there in case that's to protect you from the guy that's driving without insurance. Well, people right. say, well, aren't you supposed to have insurance? Yes, you are. You're also supposed to not drive drunk, but people do that too, don't they? You know? Yeah, you're, you're also <laughs> supposed to not run headlong into a brick wall, but people do that. And you're back to blood it. from a stone. You can say, well, I'll just sue his ass. Well, if he's that's driving right. around without insurance, he probably doesn't have any money. Probably doesn't have any money. Yep. That's exactly right, and you can't get what they don't have. You can get all the judgments you want, but if there's nothing there, you're not going to get anything. So, um, 
you know, that's that's pretty much it on auto insurance. If you have a car that's, you know, uh, I got a customer that's got an 88 Cadillac in mint condition, 50,000 miles. I, I told him, I said, you need a stated value policy on this car because the car is only worth on paper three grand. You yeah. have a $2,500 accident, you're going to total it. So if you've got a classic car, if you've got something that's worth a lot more than book value, talk to your insurance agent about increasing the coverage on that and getting either classic car coverage or a stated value policy so it doesn't get totaled out, you know, if, if it doesn't need to be totaled out. Um, that's about it on the on the auto insurance. Disability insurance, we touched on that, Jack. Main thing is that you, you need to have it. You've got lo- uh, long-term disability and short-term disability. If you have an emergency fund, if you have savings, I'm not as worried about the short-term disability. The long-term disability is what you want to have. You know, if you can't work anymore, if you're making, you know, $50,000 a year or $100,000 a year, you can usually insure up to 60 or 70% of that income uh, for, for fairly cheap, for not much money. Uh, and I really recommend that people do that. If you're, still, if you're working, you need to have disability insurance over and above Social Security because uh, there's no guarantee that you'll even be able to get that. And if you do, it's a fraction of what you made if you, if you have any kind of career, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So, um and then uh, we, we talked a lot about life insurance. Uh, last thing I want to mention is uh, identity theft insurance. Uh, it's a good thing to have. I think I pay $12 a month for it. Uh, the, the identity theft thing, Jack, is not the, the biggest risk is not the money that you're out, but the time that it takes to get that cleaned up. I think the national average is 300 hours of telephone calls and letter writing to get identity theft cleaned up. A lot of insurance companies now are offering ID theft coverage which is great except for one thing. If it counts as a homeowner's claim against you to file it, then I would get it somewhere else. My insurance company offers it, but I don't get it through them because it counts as a claim if you use it. So that's something that's important to note. You may want to look. There's a lot of other companies that sell it separately from your homeowner's policy. Gotcha. So um, ask your agent about discounts. A lot of times if you have your home and your cars, and your life insurance with, with one company or one agent, you'll get multiple discounts, accident-free, good drivers, uh, good student discounts, things like that. That's the kind of stuff you want to ask about. Make sure you're saving everything that you can. Um, that's pretty much everything i got, Jack, unless uh, you've got any other, anything else you want to clarify or go over. I've, I've hit most of my high points. I think in this day and age where you can take a million pictures for nothing, it makes a lot of sense for people to catalog all of their valuables in photographs so that when they go to file a claim on property loss on a total loss of a, of a house, if it's questioned at all, they have proof of what they say they had, especially when people have things that are like collectibles and things like that. Uh, and appraisal, you mentioned appraisals. I think that's important as well, that certain things uh, have limits within a policy. Like you mentioned mm-hmm. jewelry and guns are not treated like mm-hmm. – typical property and that's even more important that it be documented and talked about with your agent as to how much coverage you can get and some of those things quite honestly the best thing you can do is self-insure through storage and what i mean by that is necessarily off-site storage but there are gun cases that your whole house could burn down a tornado could rip it apart and it might Mm -hmm. fling your gun case out and you might have some nicks and scratches but overall they're going to be okay Mm -hmm. there's certain boxes that you know, you can have a fire and crisp the house to the ground, and it might be kind of melted looking, but when you open it up, the stuff inside, it's going to be okay. And some of those yeah. things, I think, make a lot of sense. One, document, and two, protect. Um, that is about yeah. the only thing I could add to what you've said today. 
Absolutely. And, and, you know, I'm a gun guy like you, Jack. I've got guns that I've had since I was a child that you could not put a price on. And it no. doesn't matter how much it's insured for. If I lose it, I would be brokenhearted. So, I've, you know, I've got a good gun safe, and I recommend that. You, absolutely great idea on documentation, taking digital photos. You know, digital photos are basically free these days. Yep. And what I do, Jack, is I take, you know, about every year, especially like right after the wife cleans the house and or, you know, my wife and I clean the house, it looks really good. I'll walk around, snap a bunch of pictures. I'll put a copy uh, on a disc in my gun safe, and I've got – I use Carbonite, offline backup, so I'm making sure go. the pictures are uploaded to Carbonite. And I've got – my dad has a gun safe at his house. I put a disc of the pictures in, in his gun safe. That makes so sense. now I've got three three backup copies of those pictures. But that is an excellent idea, uh, and I highly recommend that everybody do that because saying what you got one thing – Picture tell you know tells the story way better. Well, it also so. works out this way. So when you have a, a loss of property, uh, your insurance company doesn't just go, oh, okay, you were insured for the house plus a uh, hundred thousand dollars worth of stuff. So here's check. Mm-hmm. They say, what'd you lose? Right? Mm-hmm. They, they want a list of stuff. Well, okay, put yourself in this position. Your house is burned down. Mm-hmm. Your whole life's destroyed. You're living mm-hmm. in a hotel. Um, you, everything in your life is completely disrupted. Things that even though they're insured, you can only put so much in a strong box or a safe. So some things are lost that you're emotionally devastated over. You're hung up on them, and now you're sitting down to make a list of what you lost. Do you think you just might have a hard time remembering everything that was there? Yeah, I can't remember it all now, let alone right. when I'm distraught. Yeah. Well, if you start paging through your pictures on hopefully you have an iPad you save or something like that. You can right. go, oh, yeah, that, oh, yeah, that, oh, yeah, that. And then if there is any questions, well, did you really have this? Here's a photograph of it. There you go. You know, yeah. I, I, I had I had one instance where I had to go up on my roof and take a picture of my roof for an insurance company to prove that the roof was fixed on a claim right. that was, like, four years old. They're like, all of a sudden they audited. They tried to cancel our homeowner's insurance because they, wow. sent, a per- they sent an inspector out who couldn't find the house. So they determined that the house – get this. They determined the house didn't exist. Okay. Okay, the house doesn't exist. So we sent them a picture of the house on Google Images saying, here's the house. And uh, they said, well, we want a picture of the roof. So it blew up the picture from Google Images and said, here's the roof. And they said, no, we want a up-close picture of the roof. And sometimes insurance companies are stupid because yeah, – yeah. So I, I climbed up the ladder and took a picture of the roof. I could have took a picture of the roof of McDonald's. Right. Right. It was the dumbest thing, but, you know, <laughs> photography seems to actually get through stupidity sometimes, so that's why I recommend it. Anyway, uh, dude, I appreciate you being on. I think you've shared a lot of great information with people. And, again, it's not as sexy as a topic as hunting or, you yeah. know, alternative energy or what have you, but – it's something that people are going to – sooner or later, you're either going to have insurance pull you out of a hole or you're going to be in a hole you wish you had insurance for. So it's something we right. all need to consider. Yeah, it is. And, it's you know, it's, it's one of those things that's a necessary evil. And, and there's just so much misinformation, Jack, and there's so much people just don't know about it. I mean, if we can help shed any light for people, um, you know, then it's worth doing. And, and uh, I, I've been listening so long, I feel like we're friends, you know, even though I've never spoken to you. It's, it's really been really neat to be on the show today, and I, I hope that we can, uh, you know, help shed some light on some of this stuff for people. Yeah, you, uh, you're right now, I was going to say, you know, you pay people to get in touch with you to help them out, but you're not even in the business of selling insurance anymore. You're now a claims adjuster, right? 
That's right. Yep. I got out of sales. I did that for a while. I enjoyed it, but uh, you know, now I'm on the front line. Instead of trying to sell sell people insurance, I'm helping them get claims closed. Um, you know, but I, uh, you've got my email address, or if you don't, I'll send it to you. If anybody has questions, you know, I'd be happy to, to try to field some questions. If, if anybody has uh, something specific, you know, they want to ask about, uh, I would be happy to do that. Well, in today's episode 1290, I'm sure you'd be happy to answer them in the comments as well on the blog. Absolutely. All right. Well, I appreciate you being here, and uh, folks, Jason's another example. You know, kind of here at the end, you hear this: not selling insurance, works as a claims adjuster. Um, not on here to sell you anything. Just a community member wanted to help us out. So, Jason, man, with that, thanks for being here today. Jack, I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And folks, with that, this has been Jack Spirico today, along with Jason Adkins, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Revolution is you.